If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thank you all for visiting me today. You coming from YouTube and those at SoundCloud, welcome. Gospel Saving Church, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Welcome to our beautiful little home church here in McKinney, Texas. I want to welcome everybody and invite everybody that's listening. We have a page on YouTube. It's a Gospel Saving Church. It's an actual page that we have where there's just two sermons so far, but we're going to have more as we're going to keep recording and we're going to keep being obedient to the Lord's command and we're going to have church. We believe here we don't have to be a big church. We don't have to be a mega church. We just have to be a church. We have to be doing exactly what God called us to do. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're coming together. We're uniting as a small body of Christ inside my home and we're having church every Sunday and we have for over 50 weeks. So praise be to God. So let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Everybody want to bow their heads and start with a word of prayer and we'll get going and we'll start praising the Lord with his word. Thank you so much, Lord, for your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, so much for your power. Lord, your power is amazing. Your authority is amazing. Your holiness is amazing. We thank you so much for your glory as well, Lord, and that you even give wretched sinners like mankind, the ability to get saved. We're so destitute, Lord. We're so blind and we're so poor and we're so naked, Lord. But just so many people just don't realize it. Lord, God, please help people to realize their spiritual state and to realize your goodness. And that's why the man a long time ago wrote the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. And Lord, so, you know, we're all wretches, Lord. And thank you for your salvation that you give to all mankind, that you pour out upon all mankind. We bless you. We praise you. We ask that you bless this reading of your word and my teaching, Lord. I pray that as I teach, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be the one that really teaches us, Lord. Not me, your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just pray that those that are listening to me, Lord, those that are encouraging me, those that are supporting me, Lord God, would be blessed and encouraged by what they hear from me, Lord. And I pray, dear God, we'd all grow in you today. 
grow us all in a mighty way in your name. And may you be glorified through the words that I speak today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 9 through 14. The title of today's message is From the Grain Field to the Synagogue. Matthew 12, 9 through 14. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to begin. The Word says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, Now when he, be Jesus, had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value then, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So what do we have today? It's the title of our message, From the Grain Field to the Synagogue. We have a changing of scenery. We have a changing of scene. Jesus was in the grain fields where the Pharisees were knocking his disciples for plucking heads of grain and eating them. And now we're in a synagogue. But before we actually get into the heart of our message, we have a little detour that we must make first. It's a little detail that we, it's very easily missed in the scripture, unless you're, you know, unless, I mean, I've, I've really never seen it. And God gave me light here, so praise be to God. Uh, he gave me this light. We, see, we have two other parallels to this scripture here today. We have Mark and we have Luke that record the exact same thing that happened. They have the disciples and Jesus going through the grain fields, and then they have you know, them going from the grain field to the synagogue. So we have these three accounts that all have the same accounts of what Jesus did with his disciples. Except for there's one detail here that Matthew seemed to leave out and we know it wasn't on purpose because we know the disciples didn't try to deceive anybody because appearances can be deceiving. You see, between verses 8 and 9 of Matthew chapter 12, there was at least one week's break. You say, what? What? I mean, Matthew 12, 9. Now, when he had departed from there, so they were in the grain field, he went into their synagogue. That little comma there, actually there was about a week, maybe even two weeks' time. We only know that from Luke 6.6, 6, which is the exact parallel to this scripture. Luke 6.6 6 tells us, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. And we know that Jesus and his disciples, in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8, were on the Sabbath, walking through the grain fields, plucking heads of grain, and the Pharisees got on to the disciples because they were doing it on the Sabbath. And then Luke 6, 6 says, on another Sabbath, they entered into the synagogue. 
Now, this happens a lot in the Bible, and, but we just don't recognize it and we just don't read it. Again, it's not that the disciples tried to deceive anybody with what they were doing. It was just that they just were writing it as God was bringing it back to their mind. Now, you may be asking, well, why did Matthew write it that way? Why did Matthew and Mark, or why did Matthew and Luke, excuse me, write it in two different ways? Well, just one explanation. Of course, there's, there's a whole gamut of things that, you know, we have, you'd have to look at in that. But just one is, you have to realize their history. You have to realize their, their background. Matthew was, a, Matthew was a tax collector, okay? Tax collectors, they dealt with taxes, and, you know, Matthew got saved and came to follow Christ, and that was the end of it. Luke was a physician. Physicians, generally, even today, tend to be more into detail than a tax collector would be. We also hear from Luke that it was the man's right hand. Matthew doesn't tell us which hand it is. Matthew just records that a man was there with a withered hand. Luke, being a more detailed physician, records that it was his right hand. Because physicians tend to be more, you know, they, they, they focus on especially details of the body and details as a whole. So there, there's, there's just one. You know, what did they do for that whole time? You know, what did they do for that whole week? What did they do between verses 8 and 9? Actually, no account tells us. Now, we, we might have a recording in John. In the Gospel of John, John is kind of outside the box. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all pretty synoptic. They're all pretty together. They all kind of like, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you might think, well, kinda, they kind of all sound the same. But then when you go to Luke, when you go to John, the Gospel of John, when you're reading John, it's like, wait a minute, John, this is a little different. John records it from a different kind of angle. And John was writing for a different group of people. John actually was writing for the Romans, as where Matthew, Mark, and Luke were more of writers that were trying to reach Jewish, a Jewish audience. John's whole gospel, the times change, and he gets the times different. And they're not different. They're times according to the Roman calendar, not according to the Jewish calendar. So John does a little different. But I'm, I'm sure we can never know for sure while we're this side of heaven what exactly happened during that week. We just don't get to know. We can't know for sure. But I'm sure that this subject was coming up in the disciples' day because in John, he records it twice. In John 20, 30 and 31, he, John writes, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. In John 21, 25, he writes, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the whole world itself could not contain the books that were written. So John himself was writing that, and that was just because I believe that was in response to people were asking him, you know, tell us some stuff about Jesus. You know, what about... What about this book that you've written? What about the Gospels that are written? John was the last Gospel to be written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke came first. John was the last Gospel. So people, I'm sure, were asking John, what about all these recordings that we have? Hey, listen, we couldn't get it all, everybody. We couldn't get it all. We, we, got, we got down, but there's lots of other things he did. Lots of others. But even Matthew 4.23 alludes to this type of thinking. Matthew 4.23, Matthew records, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, do we have anywhere 
because I'd love anybody to show me, a recording of what Jesus actually did during those healings and during those carings of sicknesses? We don't. We know that he did lots of them. We know that he did them all the time, and we know that there were all kinds of ones that he healed. But do we have a specific account for every single one, every single one of those healings and every single one of those demon possessions casting out? No, we don't. We just have Matthew just generalizes it and says, and he went through all the regions of Galilee, and this is what he did. Boom. Uh, that could have been months of an account that Matthew just gave there. But we don't know. So that's another little perspective of it. So to say that the Bible that we have in front of us is every recorded thing that Jesus ever did is just a complete fallacy. That's just not true. Actually, you can look at it like this. Realistically, what we have recorded is we have Jesus in the Bible. What we have written of him is just a fraction of what he actually did when he lived, you know, when he was serving God for the three and a half years of his ministry. We just have just a fraction. So we don't know everything what Jesus did. It's going to be neat that the other side of heaven, once we get there, those that are going to find out, we can ask Jesus for an eternity. Jesus, what did you do? What are all the things that you did all the years that you served God, all the miracles? We don't get them all. The Bible tells us that. Tell us more. And I'm sure we can sit around for a couple thousand years because there won't be time, won't matter anymore in a sense, in a sense it does now. And we'll just be able to listen along. So, moving forward. As I said earlier, in this, in this section, we have a different scene. You could say it's a different scenery. We moved from the grain fields to the synagogue. Read verse 9 again with me. Now when he, Jesus, had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. So Jesus goes from the grain fields to the synagogue. So what did he go to the synagogue to do? Did he go to the synagogue just to listen along? Did he go to the synagogue to, you know, stand outside and preach? Luke 6, 6 again tells us that Jesus went into the synagogue on another Sabbath and he taught. So this is what Jesus did when he went to the synagogue. He went there to teach the people. So there's a huge powerful point here that we're going to focus on for the next couple minutes. What is it? The fact that Jesus went and taught the people. Why is that so powerful? Why is Jesus being able to go into a synagogue and teach the people a powerful thing? I mean, people would go in and read the scripture and people would teach. Big deal, right? But this is Jesus we're talking about here that got to go into the synagogue and that got to teach. And why is it powerful? Number one to start, the fact that he was allowed to teach the people, not just read because that's generally how it went. The people would stand up and they'd read a certain section. Nowadays, if you go on Jewish websites and you go on the Jewish synagogue websites, you find that you can actually, if you're part of their synagogue, you can actually go in and you can, you can uh, take a spot. You can, um, you can, you can fill out a, a little thing and you can say, I want to do next Sundays or I want to do next Saturdays. And you can reserve a spot to go teach or to go stand up and read from their Torah. Okay. That's what you can do today. I don't know if they had that back then. Why was this a miracle that he was allowed to teach in the synagogues being Jesus Christ? Number one, he wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a leader of the synagogue. So he would have been just, he wouldn't have been the one to make the rules. He just was kind of a guy coming in off the street, standing up and reading the Torah, and then he was going to teach. Why was this a miracle? Well, if you don't know, I'll tell you now, 
Jesus offended a lot of religious leaders and all the time. He was constantly saying things that made the religious leaders angry. You say, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, he was. Read, read verse 14 of today's scripture. Go down to 12, 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. That was just about what he did. He was in the synagogue when he did it. And so their response to his, what he did in the synagogue, you know, his healing. And then there's more. There's Matthew 13, 57, again in a synagogue. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Luke 4, 16 through 30. Jesus gets up and reads this scripture in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember I told you that the people that came in, they would stand up and they would get a section of scripture to read and they would read from their Jewish Bible. And this is the section that was chosen for him that day to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 21, he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this scripture that he was reading out of, out of this scripture that he was reading out of on Isaiah was the scripture that was proclaiming the Christ to come. So he at the end of that section of scripture that he read said, The scripture's about me. I'm the Christ, in other words. This scripture's about me. So they, in response, were astonished at his words and said, Isn't this just Joseph's son? The son of Mary and Joseph? Who is this? We, we, it, the Christ? They were offended at what he said. So he responded to their false beliefs. And of course, in his response to their false beliefs, he rebuked them and said some offensive things that, I mean, they're true things, but sometimes, well, what is the truth hurts? Don't we have that saying nowadays? The truth hurts. It always does, doesn't it? The truth really does hurt sometimes. Okay? So he said some things that were truthful, but they got offended because of what he said. They were pretty offensive things that he said. And in response to his teaching, in response to what he said, this was their response. Verses 28 through 30. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill on, on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Woo! Wow! That's pretty powerful. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So, Jesus was always offending the religious leaders by the things that he was saying. The fact that God made it the miracle is that he, they let him stand up and teach, even though he was constantly offending them. They could have said, no, sit down. You're not going to teach the people. The position of teaching is a prevalent position. Not just anybody gets to teach. And especially in his case, he offended the PE, offended the religious leaders, the leaders <clears throat> and the Pharisees and the priests were the ones that were in control of the synagogues. They could have said, no, this is the one that always offends. <clears throat> get out. No, get out, of the, get out of the synagogue. We're not going to let you teach today. Get out. Get out of here. But they didn't, which leads us to the awesome power 
of God because this aspect of God reminds me, this thing that happened with Jesus reminds me of the power and authority of God. And what am I saying? What God wants to do, nobody can stop. Nobody trumps God. If God determines something, nobody stops God. Nobody. Whatever he wants to do, he does. And nobody tells him, no, stop. You can't do that. The people of Jesus' day needed to hear the things that Jesus had to teach. And God made a way for the people to hear the teachings of Jesus, whether the religious Pharisees and leaders and the priests wanted them to or not, God made it happen. Biblical proof of this. What do we see? Jesus talking to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.8, and he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. What did he just say? If I open a door, no man is going to close that door that I open for you. And wouldn't the true be on the same for reverse? If I shut that door, if I close that door, if I say no, you're not going there, you're not going to go. The door is shut and you shall not go in there. No one can stop the purpose of God. God is awesome in power and might and nobody stops him. It reminds me of Jesus standing before Pilate in the end, when he was right before he was about to be crucified, he comes back in and they were accusing him. And Pilate says to Jesus, he says, do you not know that I have, I, he says, don't you know that I have power to crucify you and the power to release you in John 19, 10 and 11? But Jesus's response shows God's power and his authority. You would have no power, Pilate, unless my Father gave it to you. So nobody does anything. I shouldn't say nobody does anything. But if God intends to do something, nobody stops him. Christian, hello, Christians out there. We serve a mighty and powerful God. Nobody is greater and nobody trumps our God. Period. The end. All right. Awesome. Let's keep going the rest of the look at today's scripture. All right. As we already saw, we have a new location, synagogue, but we also have a new situation. Read verse 10 with me. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? So what do we have? We have a man with a withered hand. We have Jesus walking into a synagogue on another Sabbath. We have a man with a withered hand that's there. And we have some Pharisees that are trying to ensnare him. They're trying to trap him. Go down to verse 14. Then the Pharisees went and plotted against him. So the people that were doing this, that were there, that asked this question in verse 10, and they, there was a man there, and they asked him, the they that asked him were Pharisees. That was the they that asked him. They were questioning Jesus, looking for a way to accuse him of false teaching against God's Sabbath law. 
And what was their question that they tried to trap him with? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Consequently, if you read all the different occurrences here of this man with the withered hand, you read Matthew and you meet, read Mark and you read Luke, consequently, the man with the withered hand was just there. This is starkly different from Jesus' other accounts where he comes in contact with people that are sick or need healing because they actually were following him, calling out after him. When you read the account, and there was a man there with a withered hand. So this guy just was kind of like there. Synagogues are, were, a lot like, were and are a lot like Christian churches. They have congregations just like we do, just like churches all over the country do. People come, people go, people come for the day of worship, people you know, read the Torah, then they leave just like a church. If you want to know what happens in a synagogue, it's kind of just like a church. They read their Bible, they teach their Bible, same kind of thing. So there were lots of people in this synagogue service. This man with the withered hand, remember since Jesus wasn't, he didn't go there right after this grain field incident, he was just walking around doing whatever. And so he entered in there on a time when they had a service. He was just there. The Pharisees saw Jesus. They looked at this poor man with the withered hand and thought, we got an opportunity to attack Jesus. We're going to use this man's disability. We're going to get him. We got him now. We're going to get him to, to, to say some bad things about God's Sabbath law. But really, they ask almost the silliest question that they could have asked. They really didn't even deserve to be answered. And why? Why would the miracle of healing be considered a work? Remember last week we talked about the definition of work, labor, labor intensive. It would be your business type of work. Why would the miracle of healing be considered labor? What a dumb question. Even if Jesus was just some regular man of God, and he wasn't the God-man. And let's say he was just, let's say he was just a, a man that loved God. And people knew that, you know, this guy prays. There's people today in the church that have a gift of healing. They pray for people and the people get healed. There's, that's a gift in the Bible. And we read the Bible as a whole and it says there are certain gifts that God gives by his spirit. And the gift of healing is actually a gift that God can give to somebody to pray for and they would pray. So... Even if Jesus were a man of God and not the God-man, why would all he would have to do for a man with a withered hand or, or a lame man or a blind man was pray for him. Just simply pray, oh God, you know, we just pray for this man that, you know, he would be healed. So what now? Were they trying to say that now prayer was a work? Come on, man, really? It's ridiculous. These people were just looking for anything to just try to attack him for no reason at all. And this one has to be one of the stupidest ones at all. Jesus didn't do no big rain dance. He didn't go to the hospital and get a, you know, a bed and roll it all the way there. And I could see how that would be work. But all, even if he was just a man of God, what he had to do is simply just pray. Instead, he just, as we see, we'll see a little later, he just says, stretch out your hand and it's healed. How does that work? So this has got to be one of the silliest, most ridiculous times that they come to try to attack him, this time right here. But, nevertheless, that's how I, I would have said, you know, dude, really? Go away. 
but he didn't. A loving and kind Jesus that he was, because he really was loving and he was super kind, even to those that persecuted him. A loving and kind Jesus answers their question. But just like last week, like we read last week, he does it in a very unorthodox way. Let's read Jesus' answer, verse 11 and 12. So then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will lay hold of it and lift it out. What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Verse 12, Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he answers them with two questions and a statement. Two questions and one statement. He says, if your animal falls into a pit, will you not, even on the Sabbath, take hold of it and lift it out? And is it not good, here he says, of how much more value is a man than an animal? Jesus had the right here to really just say, you know what, that was a stupid one, guys. I'm sorry. Get away from me. He could have just healed the guy right away and been on his way and said, you know what, I'm, I'm done here. I'm not even going to answer you. But again, the loving and kind Jesus answers them, and he does it in a very unorthodox way. Why does he do, why does he answer this man the way that he did? We're going to look at that. Let's look at the two questions in depth, and then we'll look at the one statement, and we'll try to figure it out. So first question. What man is there among you who has one sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. So just as a backdrop, felt like the Holy Spirit leading me this week, and you'll really get a kick out of this. This question that Jesus asked, I went ahead and I asked a nine-year-old child what he thought the answer to this question was. I said, you know, if your animal falls into a pit, you think it's against God's Sabbath law to help it out and pick it out. Now, he did not know that I was going to bring this question up when I asked him these questions. He did not know that I was going to bring up this, bring up this during the message. He just answered them earnestly. And he, his answer was very simple. Let's read it here. I'll read it. His answer was no. That wasn't against God's Sabbath law. Because God loves and cares for animals because they are his creation also. How sweet and simple are the answers of a child. So sweet and simple. So I asked him the second question, verse 12. How much more then, how much more value then is a man than a sheep? And his answer was, a lot more. And he referenced Jesus. You know, Jesus said that how much more value of you are you than many sparrows? You know, God loves us all. I said, oh, you are right. God loves animals and people alike. You are right. I said, but do you think he loves people more than he loves animals? He said, oh, yes. Absolutely, yes. I said, you know, in the whole God made us in his image thing, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, you know, God didn't make cows in his image, and God didn't make birds in his image. The Bible says that God made man in his image. So he says, oh, a, a lot more. You know, but does God still love animals? Absolutely. But he loves us more. 
And of course, he was correct on both of his answers. And just consequently, awesome idea here, awesome thought, he didn't even stutter. He didn't even have to think about it for one second. When the questions came, immediately the answers popped out, no, and a lot more. Wasn't even a question. Just simple, simple, simple stuff. So what's my point? If a nine-year-old knew the answer to these questions that Jesus asked these wise, philosophical, learned men that were supposed to be the spiritual leader of the people, if a nine-year-old knew the answers to the questions that Jesus just asked, do you think that the Pharisees knew the correct answers to Jesus' questions? And I would have to say, absolutely. Not there's not a doubt in my mind, 100% I believe that these Pharisees knew the answers to these questions. So the reason Jesus asked these guys the questions, the reason he did, if these guys would have answered these questions honestly, they would have answered them the same way the nine-year-old did. In answering them like the nine-year-old did, they should have realized that healing a human being was much more important than helping out an animal out of a pit, even if it was the Sabbath. They should have realized their error and stopped persecuting Jesus. So he could have just said, no, get away from me, I'm not going to answer you, but instead he uses two simple questions that a grade school child answered correctly, and yet they could not. Luke or Mark 1 tells us that they refused to answer. They actually stood quiet. And there records here that there's no answer, and so they refused to answer. And in fact, the other recordings say, one of them says that they looked at him intently. And Jesus looked around at the anger of the anger in their heart, and then he, he makes his next statement. In verse 12, will not, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 12, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He declares healing is not a work that breaks the Sabbath law of God and a good holy thing to do. And of course, why does he say this? Number one, it's not work. But number two, God is so loving and so holy and so caring about his creation. There was another account where there was a woman that was, had some disablement for 38 years, a man that had a disablement for 38 years, and they did the same thing to him. They watched him to see if he was going to heal this person disabled for 38 years. And he, he responds to him and he says, Shall not this man who Satan has kept in bondage of ailment and sickness for 38 years, this child of Abraham, should he wait another day to be healed? So it's ridiculous. They had, there was no compassion. These religious leaders, there was no compassion for people, and they totally misunderstood God's law and just wanted to destroy Jesus every time they saw him. So what does Jesus do? He makes the statement. So then what does he do? On top of the statement that he makes, he makes an even bigger and more powerful statement. A statement of power and authority. Read verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole 
as the other. What was the statement? The statement of the healing of this man's hand. For after all, action speaks louder than words. By doing this, Jesus just said with power, not only is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath because it is a good godly thing to do, but here's one for you as physical proof and my stamp of approval. Yes, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. He never said those words. He did say it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, but he never did say it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath because they should have realized that healing was just a good thing of God to do and not a work. So he puts his stamp of approval in a physical form by healing this man. And as we said earlier, I'll say it again. When God wants to do something, nobody stops him. Nobody. Jesus knew that these guys were angry with him. Jesus knew that these guys were mad and they just wanted to catch him. And so if he wouldn't have done the healing, they actually would have had no cause even to go out and plot to kill him. So he could have just wanting to be, uh, what you'd say, you know, politically correct. He could have just, just not done it and just made the statement and then walked away. But what does he do? He does it. He will do as he pleases as long as it's righteousness and holiness. He opens doors that no man can shut and shuts doors that no man can open. God can and will God can do anything except for sin or a lie or anything deceitful or anything dishonest. God can do anything, righteousness and holiness, righteousness and truth. Powerful. So, wow. Now, you would think after Jesus did this powerful miracle, you would think, you know, let's say we were sitting there. Just imagine yourself sitting there in that synagogue. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And all of a sudden, the guy's hand stretches out, and he has two hands that are holes. They're both the same. And I, I can't tell you right now, I, I'd have to, I was sitting there, I'd jump for joy. I would go around the synagogue, jump for joy. I would run through the streets. Praise the Lord, God's got a prophet. He's an awesome man of God. Look at what this guy just did. Woo, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I can't believe it. Jesus just did this. What do these guys do? Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. <laughs> Wrong answer, folks. Wrong answer. They were more angry than ever. All I could say is absolutely wow. A couple weeks ago, we read Matthew 11. 25 through 30, and we, refer, and we read Matthew eleven twenty-five, 25, where Jesus said, Father, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. If you want a perfect picture of what a wise and prudent man or person would be, what you'd want to do is you'd want to look at these Pharisees right here in this section of Scripture right now. Notice in our account, though. Notice. Because you can make the argument, yeah, 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 Jesus, God, they hide. 
the fact of salvation from the wise and prudent. See, see, so some aren't just aren't meant to get saved. See, only some are meant to get saved, Ed. See, that, that, that scripture proves that. But notice here, in our scripture here, that although Jesus said that in Matthew eleven twenty five, what did Jesus try to do to get these men to believe before he did the miracle? He asked them two questions that a nine-year-old could answer. I would say that was Jesus giving them the benefit of the doubt, still offering them hope. Here, guys, hey, I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe that I'm the Christ. I want you to believe that I'm the one here. I'll ask you these simple questions. Is, is, it, is it lawful? Is it lawful to do good? Yes, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See these easy questions. And yet they were so wise and prudent, they didn't even bother answering. Bet their minds did, though. I bet their consciences did. Because the Bible said that God gives man a conscience. And what is your conscience? It's, your, it's like your inner voice that kind of tells you what's right and what's wrong. And I'll guarantee you that their consciences answered Jesus' questions correctly. And if they would have just listened to their consciences, except for their angry hearts, they could have turned and they could have been healed and they could have been saved. But yet these guys still refused to accept that they were wrong and confessed healing wasn't a work and they could have just turned and worshipped Christ, Jesus as the Christ, right then and there. But they didn't. They were hard-hearted, wise, and prudent people indeed. How sad. How very sad. So I mentioned at the end of the message, in closing, that these hard-hearted Pharisees saw the awesome power and authority of Jesus in this miracle. And instead of worshiping him as Christ, they went away more furious than ever, thinking of ways to destroy him. So I want us, and anybody that's listening out there, wherever you're listening from, I want you to ask yourself today, all of us, ask ourselves, how do we act toward Jesus' date toward Jesus daily as we see all the supernatural power and authority of God around us. You might be saying, what supernatural power and authority of God do we see around us, Pastor Ed, every day? I don't understand. Can you give me an example? Well, Romans 1.20 says, Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, would be God, His invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What is that verse telling us? That verse is teaching us that we can look at ourselves and all of creation to see God's invisible power and his attributes. We can look at all those things and see the reality of God and see his power and see his authority. So let's just look at three. God gave me three for this week's message, some awesome things where we can see God's awesome authority and power. Let's take, first of all, the human heart. Look to ourselves first for the first two, the human heart. From the time you're born to the time you die, your heart never, ever, ever takes a break. If it does stop you die. They call that cardiac arrest, if it does stop. So why would this be an awesome 
power of God. Well, just for the heck of it, God led me to beats per minute versus beats per lifetime. So as I was doing this study, I came across this equation. Beats per minute times 60 minutes times 24 hours times 365 days times however old you are. Because we can actually see God's awesome power in the ability of our heart. So mine at time of my sermon preparation was 88 beats per minute. Now, just in one year, by the way, 88 beats per minute comes out to 46,252,800 beats per just one year of my heart, just in one year. So if we take my 38 years old, I'm almost 39, it would change quite drastically in a year. If we take I'm 38, in 38 years since the day of my birth, my heart has beaten right about 1,757,606, no, I'm sorry, 1,757, 1,767,006,400,000 since I've been alive without stopping one time. One time. The average beats per minute for the average person are between 60 and 100. So at 60 for 38 years old, that'd be 1 trillion, 198 billion, 368 million. And if you had 100 beats per minute, and the more beats per minute, the less healthy you are, 100 beats per minute for a 38-year-old would be almost 2 trillion beats in just 38 years. And again, that's without stopping. Again, if it stops, it's called cardiac, cardiac arrest. So I challenge anyone listening, I want you right now, from this point on, for 38 years, I want you to do almost whatever it is. I could be wrong on that 2 billion or 2 trillion. I think it's trillion. But I want you to start right now for the next 38 years, and I want you to do either two or three billion sit-ups or push-ups without stopping just one time. Do those right now. Start. Let's go right now. Two billion or two trillion in the next 38 years, and you can't stop once. Not one time. Can't stop once. Because I'll guarantee you that anybody that's listening, not one person that's listening can do that. Yet your heart does that every single day and doesn't stop until you die. Now, if you can't see from this supernatural creation of God, the proof that he exists, and that he is amazing in power and authority, nothing is going to help you see that. Because nothing goes this powerfully, and it can't stop. Because if it stops, you die. Next one, next example that God gave me was your brain. And I've been saying this for a long time, but actually scientific sites back it up. Your brain is anywhere between 60 and 75% fat. There 
there's some membranes in there and some other things in there, but your brain is 60 to 75% fat. And the kind of fat that you eat would influence how good or how bad you think. Actually, the fat content of what you eat in your food actually affects your thought processes because your brain is so large, so large an amount of fat. Now, if that doesn't make your brain tilt, and why would you say, why would that make my brain tilt, Pastor Ed? I don't understand. Why? I don't get it. Well, just think about it. Every thought you've ever had comes from a big lump of fat that sits between your ears. All your thoughts, your person, who you are. Ever thought a couple last Friday I was thinking, man, I'd love pizza tonight. Man, I'd love pizza. That thought came from a big lump of fat in between my two ears. How can thoughts originate from the same stuff that's in your stomach? The same stuff that's on your thighs. Same stuff that's in your butt. How can thoughts originate from a big lump of fat? And if you don't see, again, the supernaturality of God in the fact that he makes a big lump of fat think and your brain runs you. And without either one, without modern science, if your brain stopped working, you die because it stops telling your body what to do. And if your heart stops beating... Your brain doesn't have the blood pumping to it to live either. So without just one of these two organs, your whole self completely shuts down and you die. Just because of the brain or the heart not working. Power and authority of God in all of creation. Next one, let's just go terrestrial. Well, Ed, you know, that's your body. You know, your body. Oh, let's just... Let's go terrestrial. Let's go outside of the box here, okay? Let's go to the sun. What about the sun? The sun, as you know, is a general. It's a little bit more, a little bit less, as the, as the websites say. It's about 93 million miles away. 93 million miles away. Yet, that far... It is the Earth's primary source of energy. And it's 93 million miles away. Takes up about 90% of all the mass of all of our solar system. Just the sun. It's 93 million miles away. We live in Texas here. Whoever's watching me on YouTube, we live in Texas. And when it's August, you feel like you're sitting right on the sun. But guess what? You're still not. Even though it'll be 120 in the shade, it's still 93 million miles away. And even though it's so far, it's the Earth's primary source of energy. And get this. If the Earth was just one degree closer to the sun, just one in its elliptical rotation around the sun, the Earth's temperature would increase so vastly that everything would burn up and everything on the Earth would die. And if it was just one degree farther away from the sun in its rotation from the sun, it would be too cold for life to continue, the life that we have now, and we would all die 
two. One degree and 93 million miles. Not that much. Yet, just one degree would radically change all your environment to where it would not be an inhabitable place to live anymore. The earth would not. If you don't say wow to that, what is wow? That's wow. How does that just happen? How do those things just happen or evolve to happen? Those are wows, guys. Those are wows. Those are the power of God. Wows. Those are God's authority. What God says be, is. He said, let there be light, and there is. Let there be the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations, and they are. And no man tells them stop. No man tells them no. Wow. God's power and authority are awesome, and they're all around us. Now, when we look at stuff that people create, wouldn't we say that people that create the things that they create, the things are, the people are greater than the things that they create? Well, the same is true in God's case. Although we can say, wow, 93 million miles? Whoa, we can never, oh my gosh, 93 million miles? Well, that's a long way. God's greater because he made it. Our hearts, you mean they, they beat over one trillion times and 30? Oh my gosh, whoa. No way. God's greater. Brain, lump of fat, thoughts. Whoa, whoa, that's powerful. Whoa, that's awesome. Whoa, that's great. Nope, God's greater. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. God is greater than the things that he created. The things that he created are simple to him. Although we go, whoa, wow, oh my gosh, whoa. Nope, simple to God. Simple, simple, simple. So I have a question. Since God himself is greater, more powerful, and awesome, and with that all being said, creator of all, the Bible says that he knows every name of every star and every planet that's all there, and yet we can't even count them. That's a little bonus one in there. We can't count all the stars and all the planets and all of the galaxies and all of the universe. We can't even count them. And God is greater than even that. You think, whoa, that's powerful. Yes, it is. Yes, that is very powerful. And with all that, he sent himself down. He wrapped himself in human flesh. He came to the planet Earth, just an, smaller than an atom size in all of creation. And he loved us so much that he took our sins upon himself on the cross and died in substitution for what we should have suffered for what we did, our sin. So the God of all creation, bigger than we can ever even comprehend, had time to come down and love us so much to take his life and give it in sacrifice, in death, one of the most brutal ways to die ever for your and my sins. And he didn't stay dead either. After three days, he rose again, showing that he even had power over death. Glory to God. Praise be to God. Now, the big question that I want us all to ask ourselves, 
Big question. Let's examine our self time. How are we responding to his amazing power and authority that he's revealed to all mankind? How are we responding daily to the love that Christ showed us on the cross? We could respond like the Pharisees and they went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Or we could respond with worship of our lives. So are we responding daily to what God is showing us and what God did for us daily with lives of worship? Because God says that I want your worship. I want to be the only one that you worship. I'm the only one. I'm a jealous God. I want all of you. Christ demands your whole life, your whole heart, all your actions. He demands them and wants them all. Every single one of them. He wants them all. And you say, but pastor, that's, that's unfair. How could God want all of us? How could God want us all? That's, un, that's kind of unfair, don't you think? I mean, you know, I have to live, you know, I have to live. Pastor, how could he want all of us? How is that fair? He has the right to ask for all of you because he gave up all of himself for you. And since he gave up all of himself for you, our only response should be to give up all of ourself for him. Are you living a life of worship to God every day? Or are you living a life of worship unto yourself every day? Are you living for you or are you living for Jesus? Are you spending time with Him? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you spending time focusing on Him and meditating on Him and living the way that Jesus said, I want you to live and finding out the things that God loves and doing those things? And finding out the things that God hates and then staying away from those things. If you are living a life of worship today in Christ Jesus, keep going. Keep drawing nearer and closer to him. Because what you may think is a life of worship today, as you keep reading God's word, he'll show you, oh, I, I want way more tomorrow. Just keep going and keep going and keep going. As you are married longer and longer and longer to your spouse, you find out as the years go on, I didn't know anything about her or him. Wow, I got to keep talking to them. I got to keep knowing more. Well, I never knew that they didn't like that. Well, I got to stop doing that. Well, I want to find out what, what do you like? What, you know, what are those things? Oh, and then you start doing those things. Keep going. Keep drawing near. Keep drawing closer. But if you could say, you know what? I'm not. I'm not living a life of worship to Christ every day. You know, I mean, I believe in him. Well, you know, I would tell you right now, you have millions and billions and even trillions of belief, beliefs in your head. If Jesus is just another belief in your head, you're in trouble because he says, I can't just be a belief. I have to be your Lord. All those that desire to come up after me must deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow after me. Well, you have to believe in somebody and you have to put faith in somebody in order to do that. But then that's putting action to your faith. James says that faith without works is dead. And if you refuse to do the work of repentance, if you refuse to do the things that God wants, then God 
I'll be forced to say, I, I believe that you don't love me because you don't live for me. You don't show me that you love me. And he'll let you go your own way. So please, if that's you, and you know I don't live a life of worship in my everyday life, then I beg you, I plead with you, please turn to Christ now and start today to worship him. Start today to start following him. Start today listening to his word. Start today talking to him. Start today finding out the things that God loves. Purpose it in your heart. Turn, please turn. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. When you start to study him, when you start to look at him, when you start to look into his life, he even showed these hard-hearted Pharisees that he loved them. He showed them he loved them. Right in the midst of their angry heart toward him, he showed them that he loved them. And he'll do the same for you. Right in the midst of your evil, he'll show you that he loves you too if you just turn and you start to seek him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that you pour out upon all mankind. God, because you are merciful. And God, you are gracious. And you are all love. But you will not force us. You will not tell us you have to come to me. Because that's the one thing you won't do. You gave us our free will. You wanted man to love you because they wanted to love you. Not because... We had to love you because you were you know, a harsh taskmaster and you said you have to do what I say or else. Lord, you wanted us to love you out of our free will of our hearts. I pray, dear God, for anybody listening right now, Lord God, that you would, those that are yours, Lord, I pray that they would get stronger and grow stronger in you and get built up more and more and more in you. And those that are not yours, Lord God, I pray that you would draw them to the cross. Jesus, you said, I will be lifted up and I will draw all men to myself. I pray, dear God, right now that you would draw those listening and those that will hear, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, please, save souls, dear God, save souls today. I love you and I praise you and I thank you. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.